Hello, I'm Georges Collinet with another Afropop close-up, available when you subscribe to the Afropop Worldwide podcast and in the podcast section at afropop.org. Today, a conversation with Pedrito Martinez, part two. We continue our hang with the stellar Cuban musician, percussionist, singer, dancer, Pedrito Martinez, talking with musicologist Kenneth Schweitzer and producer Ned Sablet. Here's Ned. Thank you, George. In part one of this podcast, we talked about Pedrito Martinez's album Havana Dreams and about life in Cuba before he came to the United States in 1998. In this part, we pick up the conversation and hear about his experiences in the U.S. as a musician in the working worlds of jazz, pop, and ceremonies. So, you made this big change. You stayed here in the United States and started working as a drummer here for a living, right? I definitely structured my life here. I was ready, mentally, to get in the United States and change who I was in Cuba. You know, I just want to keep my roots, the knowledge I learned, but I want to open it up for the world. And then what I did was, you know, I start studying like crazy. You know, my wife thought that I was going to get sick because I start practicing for seven, eight hours a day for two years. No eating, no, 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 having lunch. And then I told her, I want to get out there and be one of the best. And for me to be one of the best, I have to study, you know, because in the United States, especially in New York, New York is the city that has the best musicians of the world. I started feeling that I was very behind in terms of ideas, in terms of what was going on with the music in the world. I said, wow, man, Cubans think they are the best musicians in the world. We are one of them, but we don't have not even half of the element to open our brain to other cultures, you know what I'm saying? And I was scared of that, you know, I started seeing Paquito Rivera playing Milonga music from Argentina, Brazilian music. I said, if Paquito called me to play, what am I going to do? I just know how to play congas and bata. How does the bata feed into the way you play pop music? Bata fit in any kind of music. I was been pushing hard to incorporate the bata in most of the projects that I've been involved since I'm in the United States. And I think that people... I appreciate that because it's good for the culture, it's good for the religion, and it's good for the music. I asked Pedrito about working with Gonzalo Rubalcaba on his Sweet Caminos project. Never, I never had so much trouble to play Bata in a record. Gonzalo, the patterns that were in 4-4, they did it in 5-4. It means that Gonzalo made me change the whole patterns of Bata to adapt them to a temple that is not the real one. I was doing the homework in my house for hours and hours to do that wreck, trying to think into how to play La Topa in 4 So he made me change the whole concept of the bata. And it was crazy. No, no one did that. Did you like doing this? I love it. 
Why? Because I love to experiment. I think everything is subject to change. But uh, the way I learn it, it's not even close the way the young generation is playing now in Cuba. It's totally different. It's all about vitrosity and they creating a different way to play the bata. You know, everything changed. So when Gonzalo came with that idea, my very first thinking was, this guy is crazy. This made no sense. But the way he put all the pieces together was perfect. It fit perfect. And it sounded amazing. I asked Pedrito about his communication with present-day Cuba. I go back and forth to Cuba to see what's going on in terms of dialects that people invent in the street, in terms of music, what's going on, in terms of, of fashion. In Cuba, we have a way to dress. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a full of things that we create in Cuba. And meanwhile, the world of music in Havana is in a very interesting moment. Musicians have more work than before. More work and more opportunity of getting out of the country. But also more opportunity within the country. Yeah, you're totally right about it. Afro-Cuba music is in a good level right now. It's in a very good level right now because that's a lot. It's more Roomba group. There's more places where we have days to play. I remember when I used to be living in Cuba, the Café Cantante was Charanga Vanera, Casa de la Musica, Van Van, Palacio de la Rada. So everywhere was timba, NG La Banda, timba everywhere. So now I see more reggaeton than timba, even on private parties, even on, on private events. It's reggaeton, Cuba reggaeton, Cuba. I love it. It's a lot of great songs, a lot, but that's not the music from Cuba. That's my only concern. Well, it, I mean, it kind of is. I mean, it's all habanera. Yeah. It's all boom, 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 boom. It's all habanera. It's this style of vocalizing goes back a very long way. Yeah. It goes back to the drill sergeant, the mayoral. It's, I love, I love the, the way you yeah, see it. I, and I would love to hear you jam with... That's going to happen. You know, actually, Los Cuatro just invite me to the next record. You know, so yeah. I, that, that would be great. You know, because reggaetoneros are musicians in Cuba. Yeah, they, they are. are musicians. They are. Baby Lotus spent eight yeah. years in conservatory. Yeah, yeah, they are musicians. That's the great thing about that. Yeah. They have arrangements and they have live musicians. It's not just a machine. I was at Musica Habana just now, and I had an experience I didn't think I was ever going to have again. I saw Inahe at La Tropical. Wow. In front of a packed out house, and it was just as good. Yeah, because as people, it used to be. People miss that. And I saw Habana de Primera there. They had nice. Habana de Primera at La Tropical. Nice. Packed out. So it's still really there. It, I mean, I'd love to see La Tropical book more timba. Is what I'd like. I think right, that right, because without La Tropical, there would be no timba. I know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was that was the laboratorio. El laboratorio de la timba. But going back to Bata, I've talked with Ken about this a lot. I mean, the same guys who are playing in the reggaeton bands are also playing in ceremonies. Yeah. Right? How do these musics talk to each other today? How do these musics affect each other? You know, the good thing is that Besides the music, there is a relationship between those artists. They hang together, they go to parties together, they drink together, they connect one to each other. 
And on top of that, you know, they live in Cuba. If they live in Cuba, they're trying to do a collaboration. Everything is connected. Even this is a reggaeton music or rumba or timba. The same taste, the same soul, the same experience are together. It's not hard to put Osain de Monte collaborating with one band. Because all those kids from Osain de Monte have been listening to one band since they were seven years old or five years old. So, you know, that's a big connection because they've been listening to that music for years. I can play any song of Bambang without rehearsing because I know most of them. And I know the history of Bambang. Do you think this influence going not from a bata idea in, into timba or reggaeton, but the other way around? So the ceremonial musicians, are they making changes to the way they play because of the music around them, because they're either listening to other popular music or big, playing big, it? The part of changing things is the competition. That's the way I see it. When there's so many rumba groups, you're always trying to do something that the other groups don't have or don't do. So I think there's a lot of rumba groups now, a lot of ceremonies, team of, of tamboleros. So they all trying to have the best singer or the singer with more Yoruba chants. Every time I go to Cuba and I go to ceremonies, there's a lot of songs that I never heard in my life. That means they invented. And we're talking in and Lukumi dialect, in a language that you know. So that thing, they do like something. So they adding more phrases to that song that you say, oh, wow, when I used to learn this, that was, that didn't have that at, at, at the beginning. So now it has it. And it sounds amazing. So because of the intense competition in Havana, oh, boy. They're, they're writing songs in Lukumi. Yeah, and... yeah. They're writing songs, you know, are there now. When I used to live in Cuba, Google was not that famous. I, I don't think Google is sixth. <laughs> you know, Babalao, Santeros, before they used to go to the teacher, sit with the teacher in the house, show me what that song means, show me how that, that pattern goes. Now you just Google it and you say, I want to learn La Topa. And you're going to see hundreds of videos from people from Venezuela, Mexico, Cuba, Brazil, everywhere teaching you, oh, this is the way I play La Topa. So many books saying the same thing. Which one you pick? Now that I became a priest in Babalao, every time I go to Cuba, the people that did the ceremony to me give me so many books. I'm reading so many books. So it's not just an oral tradition no, brother, no, anymore. Brother. No, not, 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 not at all anymore. So when when you were younger, you, you went to your teacher, right? And that was the truth. For me, that and was the you truth. Have you, know? to, you have to look at everything available to you, you make know, decisions. Lazaro was there singing, Rolando Egordo, Pedro Saavedra, Melita Pedroso, Felipito, Candito, so many old singers, same generation, 
but they all were singing the same thing, but with different voice, different way to sing it. Everything was the same. And you used to go to them, what, what this means? Why you sing this after this? And they used to tell you this, this, because this. Now, no one explained you nothing. They just say, go to this book and read it, it's there. There's a metamorphosis going on. I asked Pedrito about his experience of the relationship between African music and the Afro-Cuban descendant. I have been involved in so many African projects with old people from Nigeria, from Benin, from Dahomey, that used to play with Salif Keita, they used to play with Omu Sangare, Papa Mao, Manu Dibango, Fela Kuti. I used to do a project that Andres, the band leader from Yerba Buena, used to be the producer of that project, called Tribute to Fela Kuti. They used to bring every year to the BAM Theater in Brooklyn, groups from Africa, from Nigeria. The very first time I, I met Tony Allen, the drummer from Nigeria that he played with for years with Fela Kuti, I was singing for Chango. I was singing for Chango. When we started the rehearsal, he said, brother, you know that I used to hear that when I was little, in my little town, but that disappeared. Like that. Tell me, that dialect disappeared. That, that we don't have that no more. So, no matter what, I think Africans have to recognize and be thankful the Cubans been holding an African culture for many years and spread that all over the world. You know what I'm saying? We always been thankful to African people because Cubans have a huge, huge part of Africa inside. I asked him if, now that he's so busy as a band leader, if he still continues to play drums at ceremonies. You know, I am still playing ceremonies constantly. I'm still working on the religion. I'm very active on religion. I just was in Cuba like three days ago and I was in a ceremony and I saw so many guys from Mexico that have been into religion. So many. Alawas, Santeros. And they were so positive. They were just talking about, wow, man, we really appreciate and we really love what you're doing. Putting the baton in so many different Areas, project, jazz, pop, this, this. And on top of that, you continue playing ceremonies. Because I love it. That's my life. One more question about the record, because I think there's a big change that got made in this record that's easily overlooked, which is that you start writing songs. When I started writing music was when I was in Yerba Buena with Andres Levin. So Andres was this type of producer that he always wanted to pull out the best from the artists. And Andres, you know, I collaborated in a couple of tunes in the first album and the second album. So after that, I started getting a little bit shy writing music because by some point I thought writing music is like, oh, you need to get a big producer around to tell you, oh, go this direction, do this, add this. So I was not too sure that the lyrics were having logic. And then I would start writing music. I was writing and writing in my notebook, but I was making sure that the lyrics were making sense one to the other. And then out of blue, I said, you know what? I'm someone that came from a very poor neighborhood. I didn't study in school music. All I have is my heart and the education that I have in the neighborhood. 
That's what I'm going to express, who I am. I cannot try to be someone or try to imitate someone because that's not going to be me. So everything I put in a piece of paper are experiences that have been true and the way I perceive the world that is around me. And that's what I do. How long were you in Yerba Buena? I was in Yerba Buena for seven years. Because it seemed to me... I was me, the founder of Yerba Buena. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It seemed to me like your playing transformed through that experience. Definitely. You know, Yerba Buena opened so many doors for me because I was a curious musician. But when I started playing with Yerba Buena, I started getting more curious about learning new sounds, new things. You know, I started working with Pro Tools. And the very first record I did, entitled um, Slave to Africa, I recorded by myself a whole record in a little studio I had in Jersey. So, you know, Andres opened my mind to experiment new sounds and many other things. So, Pedro, I also remember the last time you and I talked, you also taught yourself how to write music, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I didn't, something that I, well, I didn't that know that was Horacio until... Negro. Horacio was the one teaching me how to read music and, and write. We did a tour to Italy, a lot of places in Italy for months. And we were constantly on the bus, going from one city to the other. And I told Negro, Negro, I want to learn how to read music and how to write music. For me, that, that's part of the story, that you, you came from Cuba, from a pretty poor uh, neighborhood and less education than you might have wanted. You came to the United States and you learned not just more about Afro-Cuban oh, music, man, popular so music, things. but music from around the world, taught yourself how to write music, yeah, you yeah. taught yourself pro tools and to record yourself. Yeah, man, and I And then also, started writing lyrics, you know? Yeah, I think it's part of life, man. You need to be brave to say, you know, why not? It's not gonna do nothing wrong. It's not gonna damage you. It's gonna be better for you. And I always been very, I wanna do this and I do it. I don't wait for things to come to me, I go get them. Thanks so much for coming into the studio and taking a little time out from your busy day to hang with us. It's always great to see you. Likewise, brother, it's a pleasure always to hang with you and talk to you. It's been a pleasure yeah. talking to both of you guys today. Yeah, likewise, Thank brother you. Ken. Let's go out now on a cut from the Pedrito Martinez group album, Havana Dreams. Recuerdos featuring Pedrito's mentor, Roman Diaz. Wow. 
Cuando ya nadie se acuerde de ti Porque el destino lo ha querido así Yo siempre te recordaré Con la misma intención Y la ilusión de ayer siempre me alcance luz para tu espíritu te extraño me voy yo soy el tronco mayor de una familia rumera y ya se formó mi rumba se formó la gozadera yo soy el tronco mayor de una familia rumera saludos para mi rulilla saludos para San Miguel. yo soy el tronco mayor de una familia rumera y eso fueron dos millares en la rumba matanse yo soy el tronco mayor de una familia rumera
This Afropop close-up was produced by Ned Sublett and Michael Jones, with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities. To keep this series going, we need your support. Every dollar counts, baby. If you like reports like this and you want to hear more, visit afropop.org and make a donation. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Ned Sublett.